I'm gonna lose my brain. I'm losing my brain. Where'd it go? Where did what go? Skype. You crashed? No. I was about to say, should I try the alternate way just so I send it to you by USB? That's so lame. Fine, do it. On the desktop, you'll see two things by date, MP3-1 and MP3-2. Mm. Anyways, we're supposed to do an intro or something. What'd you say? Supposed to do an intro or something. Here's my intro. I fucking hate Skype. Ever since Microsoft bought it, it's been made a hundred times worse. We need to use Discord. Look up how to use Discord. I've seen a lot of people telling me about Discord servers and whatnot, and you know about me being old-fashioned and behind the times. What the hell is Discord? I don't know. You look it up. I don't want to unless somebody explains me. You, I don't. I don't want to either. Hmm. Well, it seems we're at an impasse. This is the Internet's Worst Gaming Podcast. I am your host and editor and director and producer and Loki Jarson. And here uh, is with me is my brother, IRL, Lord Master, where these oh, is a dot zero of YouTube fame. Hello. Hello. Uh, nice to have you back. How have you been? Not that I don't see you every other day. Uh, especially, you know, these unprecedented times, as people use these days. We're recording this during what would have been E3 week, so this consider this our big E3 show. Uh, but, in, but instead of games of the future, we're going to talk about old-ass games of the past. Uh, one old-ass and one slightly present about a year off. A year-ass. What have you been playing lately? Uh, a bunch of stuff, but, but there's two of which I'd like to talk about, which one of which I played it for the first time in three years since I played it once. And that game, is, I got it from Steam, uh, is called um, My Summer Car. This you're playing just for your own or for the channel, your channel? Uh, just on my own. I don't think, um, you know, as far as my knowledge and how the hell am I playing this is going to be video worthy. I know a lot of people are doing that. Yes, I've seen, I've not watched them, obviously. But uh, there's a lot of reaction cams where guys are making a stupid face and he's like, Whoa, craziest car ever! Yeah. Uh, Again, uh, My Summer Car is an open-world survival game. Yes, it's a survival. Despite the name of the game. <laughs> it's made in Finland. <laughs> you, you don't hear a lot about Finnish video games, do you? You mostly hear Norwegian or Polish. Uh, it's a lot of... Not Swedish, I should say. Not Norwegian, excuse me. Um, yeah, it... I, I've, I've heard of it only because of, you know, YouTube reaction people and big YouTube people who record themselves doing silly things and screaming like idiots. And then the fact that it's very sweary and the English is very bad. Oh, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll get to the swearing at the moment. Um, 
Again, that game's been around since 2016, and I got it at uh, May of 2017, and did not play it again until last week. Why did you not play it for so long? Commitment to other games, like other PC games and all the other Xbox One games I do for videos for. Hmm. Uh, which, again, I discovered my summer card through, um, <laughs> even though I brought up his name once, way back in our first podcast, and that's um, Taconic, who's... Part of the Shaktak group, you know, those guys who play Arma. Mm. He did like two videos of my summer car because, you know, Finnish memes and whatnot. That and Australian memes he likes to do. Um, and I thought, oh, that seems silly. I don't get that. But it's a little bit more than that. Like, you know, what, you know what is the goal of the game? The real goal? I assume to get from Minsk to Poland. Uh, Oh no, it's set in rural Finland in the 1990s. So it's to get from city in Finland to other city in Finland. Uh, haven't been into any big cities, um, and, and I just assume, based on my limited knowledge of Finland, since it was a hot topic for me two years ago, um, I just like to assume it's probably somewhere in Ponyama or Ostrobovnia to us Westerners. Literally never heard of those. Yeah, I still remember a few Finnish name places rather than Swedish-English sounding names that they given. And uh, the goal to that is you gotta go assemble, restore, and upgrade your father's dilapidated Satsuma AMP if you know Finnish cars. Uh, not off the top of my head. Yeah, not a Datsun 100A? Oh, it's a Datsun? Okay, well, that's a Japanese car. Oh, okay. That's just name different here, and that's part of the country. So mm -hmm. if you just gotta go out, you know, using the car parts that are scattered inside the garage, then you gotta purchase the new parts. As in, go take your other car that your parents let you borrow. Um, not to mention they left a note on the refrigerator at the very beginning of the game, where they tell you it's like, "Hey, don't go out drinking, and we'll come back whenever we are bored." This seems like a joke game. Pretty much. Uh, and uh, and when, and the survival part is um, there's a you gotta take care of yourself. These sort of things because um, Nolly, you have thirst, hunger, stress, dirtiness, fatigue, and uh, urine. Mm-hmm. This is a joke game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and good. it's like if you want to. Get rid of the thirst, well, drink some damn beer, son, or coffee, which also reduces your stress. And another way to reduce stress is, you know, smoke cigarettes, which I did once in my last playthrough. Are these are these just like in your dash console, or you have to go and find them? Uh, the what part? Uh, your supplies. Are your cigarettes in your pockets and you look down to pick them up, or you have to pull over to a store? Oh, no, you, you it's not... In your inventory, there is no inventory. You as a person, let's just say you go to this general store somewhere in a Finnish countryside or a small town. Um, yeah, you just buy this set stuff, open up the trunk, which is you know the only place to store your cargo, and just put them there. Um, and if you're going to be drinking on the road, well, put that case of beers um, on the other seat next to your driver's seat, so you can drink on a go. Seems legit. And the only way to save the game, and, and by the way, 
remember last podcast talk about roguelike games there's permadeath here if you die you start all over again but there is a way to save the game go to your nearest outhouse that's the way to save the game oh you can't see but I was shaking my head in disgust <laughs> and straight up hold on hold on I want to say a lot of video games have done the bathroom saving thing. I think actually the first one was No More Heroes on the uh, Wii by Grasshopper Manufacturing, Suit 51. Okay, go on. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way it's like, yeah, we talked about reducing the uh, thirst and the hunger is, well, obviously go out and eat something, especially at the little, uh, that little inn there. Presumably, since this is a Datsun 100 piece of shit, your car breaks down all the time. It hasn't broke down on me. I mean, the last time I rode a vehicle was a motorcycle they left me on the side. And I actually had to bring out a helmet to, you know, wear it. And it took me a while to figure out how to start the damn thing. Because, like, you know how you start the motorcycle with a little thing on the side? Mm-hmm. Um, and I found out, I was like, oh, wait, the fuel valve is not on. So let me adjust that. And then, okay, there we go. <laughs> and it's one way of getting there. Yeah, we mentioned about, you know, eating and drinking. And ways to reduce stress. You know what's another way to reduce stress? Uh, is it safe for work? Uh, uh, you can either take a sauna, which is where, you know, that Finnish word sauna, it came from there. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, gave us through that. When I was little, I thought it was Spanish. No, it's Finnish. Um, and then, uh, and another way to reduce stress is swear a lot. You know, like, uh, Vitu, Satana, Perkele. You just say Finnish swear words? Yes. Uh, Vitu is Pussy, um, Satana is saying, and Perkele is God of Thunder. Don't, okay. Again, I think this is probably the most profanity-filled podcast we've done in, in recent memory. Uh, recent I, uh, I, I guarantee some old shows with me and Stizzy and Rob say otherwise. Um, but in English. Well, yeah, obviously. None of us speak friggin' Finnish. And you don't either. Um, Not, no, just very few. This... I've seen clips, you know, and I don't watch the whole thing, and your descriptions of it off-air and here. This reminds me of a genre of game that doesn't really have a name, but it's designed to be difficult to play for the sake of being difficult. Like, being frustrating for, just for frustration's sake. It's not like Dark Souls-type games, but put a dollar in the jar, by the way. It's not like Dark Souls-type games that are hard, and you need to figure out the pattern in order to advance. Or playing a game on a harder difficulty where enemies have more health and you have less. It was designed from the ground up to be kind of clunky, like a quop or something. Uh-huh. It's a spring of pussies for sure. That's another, you know, again, rough translation from finished English subtitles every time you hit the swear button. Is the entire game in Finnish? Yes, it's all Finnish. Um, and with English text. Um, not in road signs or anything, just... You know, when you look at the item, or uh, whatever you say, or what they say, the items and whatnot. And, and of course, you know, uh, there are ways to die in that game, as in if the meter goes over. Even if you don't frickin' take a piss, you may die. Yeah, that's a standard survival game. Thomas, they're all annoying as hell. Yeah, and, uh... And, of course, there are ways to get arrested, um, you know, drunk driving and whatnot. Um, and also failing to wear a seatbelt 
or speeding, which I did a speeding thing once and, and I just kept on going till whoop, crashed into the tree, which if you hit it hard enough, it'll kill you instantly. But it could possibly incapacitate you, then cops come and then they imprison you and you are go to jail for a period of time, scaled based on the cost of the fine, which you do not pay. So let's say you run out of gas on the side of the road. Game over? Uh, no. It doesn't stop from there. Um, again, it's survival. Not car survival. Um, so you can walk to Minsk or whatever? Well, I need to find cities in Finland. Uh, I only know Ponyama, uh, Helsinki, Karelia, those few name places I memorize in my head. Well, I can't pronounce any of these because they all have many vowels. Karyala, that's the Finnish name for Karelia that we say in English. Anyway, so you can just walk there? Yes, uh, you can walk, um, even though it can increase your fatigue over time if you're going to be sprinting. Um, not to mention, carry that case of beer with you if you're feeling thirsty. If you wish to. Um, and there was an instance, and sometimes the physics go a bit overboard. Like, even when I was riding a motorcycle, the slightest turn on full gear, like if you're not on a road, then you just start flipping side, and then, uh, let's say you just take this, you know, this big book I have here. It's driving straight, and then it, it's sideways now. It just keeps going and going until it stops, until, you know, the gear stops, and then, well, pick it up again, and then keep on going. There was this instance where, um, after I've been drinking all my beers, <laughs> and I threw this empty beer case on the middle of the road, uh, a car comes by, hits the thing, and what happens? The car gets flipped! A lot! Yeah, this sounds exactly like one of those dumbass indie games that's made goofily on purpose to create reactions. Although, oddly enough, since that game's been out for years, and it was part of the early access program, and it's expected to be out of early access no later till the end of this year. So they've been working on this dumb thing for four years and it's still goofy as fuck? Yeah. It's meant to be goofy as fuck. That's the point of the game. Again, it's by a small indie development team. You don't say. This isn't DICE? Uh, no. <laughs> it's by two people. Johannes Royola and uh, Karina Ponka. Perhaps the most important question when it comes to any video game. Is it fun to play at the very least? If you know what the hell you're doing. Well, for me, uh, <laughs> for me, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. Um, even even though the reception, the people who reviewed the game, um, they liked it. Uh, but I think it can be described best by Brian Caldwell of Rock Paper Shotgun. He called the game funny, detailed, and thoroughly confusing. Hmm. I'm just going to put a boilerplate pass on this one. Not that I have a good enough PC to play anything. And, uh... And also, while writing for Kotaku, Nathan Grayson called the game, uh, janky, weird as fuck, but fun. Eh, janky and fun don't tend to go together. Whereas Janky isn't even a real word. Yeah, I've never seen that word before. Uh, it's usually when we describe video game physics. Is that in Urban Dictionary? I'm not googling that right now. Uh, and, have you been playing? And one more thing, um... And then, not surprisingly, My Summer Car is popular in the Finnish gaming community, winning the People's oh, Choice Award over there. And inducted into the Finnish Museum of Games, along with How the many games are in there. Amongst the hundred 
games entries in 2018 in that museum. I'd be very curious as to what else is there. Because um, it seems like if you're a finished game designer, you'll get in automatically. Because there are a lot of European, like European game design has really exploded in the last like 10 years. Yeah. I mean, a ton of European games. I, I don't mean England. I mean like Middle Europe, Poland, uh, Scandinavia, that area. Denmark produces a lot of stuff. And I mentioned Arma briefly. You know where it was developed from? Uh, go ahead and tell me. Czech Republic. That's Middle Europe, yeah. Uh, Speaking of Middle Europe, not, Italy. Uh, yeah, but not in the Middle Ages. Oh, no. Another a new strategy game you've been playing, and you're going to make videos soon of. Yeah, it's from Paradox Interactive, the creators that brought you Crusader Kings 2 and Europa Universalis 4. And Stellaris, which I played all of an hour of. Which is kind of surprising uh, that it was on a console. A lot of their games are on console. And I don't think uh, this next game that I will soon do a video series on is on console. I don't think so. Because you know how complex it is? But mm -hmm. and, and you said that EU4 is on console? It is. You found that out through achievements, which you can only get it through Iron Man. Now, anyways, um, this grand strategy game that I played just last month around this time last month uh, from Paradox Interactive. It's called Imperator Rome. Imperator Rome. It, it came out last year on April 25th. Mm. So basically it's kind of like combining elements of Europa Versailles 4 and Crusader Kings 2 um, in a way, but set in a classical age that, you know, we historians, um, by who's we? The the early A.D. years. Well, to be exact, the timeline of the game it starts from uh, 450 A.U.C. Um, that's years when you know after the founding of Rome. But if you want to be more specific, it starts at 304 B.C.E. and lasts through 27 B.C.E. That be ugh, this is not the right time and place, but that BCE thing is so dumb because they're just adding an extra letter to say, oh no, we actually don't believe. Uh, yeah, that was the whole common error and whatnot. But out of habit, we just say BC and AD. Yeah, because people have been using that for literally thousand years, thousands actually since I came up with it. Yeah, and we're saying that here in the year of our Lord 2020. Well, this might come out later, so let's not say when that we're actually doing this. Oh, wait, I already said it. Never mind, I'm editing all this out. <laughs> uh, so, what what is the key difference for someone who doesn't play these games between Crusader Kings, which I get a little bit, and this? Uh, yeah, before we get into the detail, let me just add a little background to that. You know, we talked about that bit of timeline of 304 BC. That was 19 years after the death of Alexander the Great, um, who built an empire um, and conquered the Persian Empire and later expanded to the Indus and he had no heir by the time he died and the empire was fractured into four um, and leading to the wars of the Diadochi you know the war of Alexander's successors or his generals I mean you know Alexander but do you know his generals I think there were like four guys and they were all little bitches 
Yeah. Like you got um, Cassander of Macedon, um, Antigonus of the Antigonid Empire, which spans from modern day Turkey, Syria, and parts of Israel. And then further east is um, the Seleucid Empire, run by Seleucos, um, who held, you know, Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan, those areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, all of Egypt was ran by Ptolemy, which is the only one that, as you know in history, it outlasted all of them. Well, he just named all his kids that, yeah. So yeah, that was the setting of it. And, and at that same time, over there in Italy, um, Rome began to, the Roman Republic in particular, that's when it starts its territorial expansion throughout the peninsula. So yeah, that's the rise of Rome. And over in the Far East in India, at that same time, the rise of the Mauryan Empire, led by Chandragupta Maurya, who would one day, you know, um, he and his successors, all the way to Ashoka, decreed an empire so large that it, they would tell you, it's like, let's conquer all of India, except for the very south and Sri Lanka. Um, you play as one of these people? Any of them. The world map spans from Spain to India. So yeah, and it features over 7,000 cities. And a lot of tiny little countries, especially when you look at Spain and France and Britain in the map at that time, a lot of small scattered tribes. So, uh... To my understanding, Crusader Kings was basically risk uh, plus religion. Yes, there are no holy so, wars here. So, what is the goal in this game? Uh, quite similar, just basically, um, its primary focus on nations and empires. Just build it up as big as you could before you know we reach that end date, and don't get conquered by you know other powers till you have no more land to hold. Mm-hmm. So, still territory control. Largely, yes. Um, so, again, it's focused on nations and empires with a small focus on character management like Crusader Kings. Like who you marry, what religion you are, all that? Uh, the who you marry part is usually applied when you're playing as tribal and uh, monarchies. Which, by the way, they have a lot of different types of tribes and monarchies and republics rather than, you know, generic feudal monarchy like in yeah. Crusader Kings. Like, like the tribal part, there's like two kinds, no, three kinds of it. Migratory, um, settled, and federated. And uh, for monarchies, they got different kinds of it. Autocratic, which is absolute. Some are um, aristocratic. And uh, some are um, stratocratic. Like, for example, Sparta, which was the very first country I played as in that game, just to have the learning curve. Which is more, you know, ran by the military, kind of similar to, we, we say in a modern sense, like a military junta or junta. Yeah, I think regular listeners are aware of my feelings on both Spartans and Mandalorians in that I don't like them. Uh, and yes, there is even such thing as a theocratic monarchy. So Rome. Well, uh... Catholic Rome. What the hell is that called? Uh, Papal State. Holy, holy, yeah, Holy Roman Empire, when they use that title. Yeah, but it later became a princely elective empire monarchy, which is a whole different story. It's the same story. They just changed the name. 
And it is possible, like if you're powerful enough as a ruler, you could turn it into a dictatorship. Or, or in this case, have an imperial cult like the Roman Empire. Which, of course, in 27 BC, the end of that timeline, that's when, on that in actual history, that's when Augustus Caesar formed the Roman Empire. Like, change it from Republic to Empire. Yeah, he's like, I'm the king now, and y'all worship me. Uh-huh. And, uh, and we mentioned tribals and monarchies, and republics have a different uh, varieties as well. Just like with monarchies. Um, a lot of different republican governments. Aristocratic, oligarchic, um, plutocratic, theocratic even, which... Matter of fact, theocratic republics do exist, like you know, Iran today. Mm-hmm. Islamic Republic of Iran, to be more specific. And there is such thing in that game as a democratic republic, which there's no shortage of that in the Greek city-states. Athens being the most famous. So yeah, th- uh, but uh, we mentioned about marriages and whatnot. That's for tribals and monarchies. You don't have to worry about that in republics because. You serve typically in a term of five years, and and a minimum uh, election age typically um, is thirty-five, unless you're a democratic republic. Then the minimum is twenty-five. We should not be putting twenty-year-old anything's in office. Hell, they do that in Athenian Republic too. Yeah, I'm just saying. And it is possible to change the terms if you have the political influence and the stability to make it happen. Um, where you want to serve either an even shorter term of three years. Why on earth would you want to do that? Um, because, you know, you make very little impact. Um, or extend it to seven years. Or, uh, or even if possible, be elected for life. Which is basically a dictatorship. Yeah, kind of turns over into that. You haven't made any videos of this yet for your channel? Not yet, but there is a ongoing poll in my YouTube channel as of this uh, recording, which I think it's only going to be up for about a few more weeks before the upcoming update, which we'll get to that a little later, where there are about four countries that I have played as, but only one that I should do a video series on, up, which is up to my subscribers and viewers and whatnot. Uh, why don't we cover that now, because we're almost at a half hour. Uh, for the uh, choices? Updates. Oh, gee. I mean, um, when I look at the features again, there's just so much to talk about. Um, such as, you know, like, <laughs> all these features, including, you know, trade goods and uh, loyalties, um, rebellions, barbarians, and provisional improvements, all that. Okay, well, you covered it right there. We don't need to go into every minutia of the game like it does Crusader Kings. Yeah, um, especially the loyalties part. Um, because that one's far more important in order to keep the country together from breaking apart. I mean, I mean look what happened to Alexander's Empire. <laughs> and you don't want the same thing happen to you. Huh? So that, right. So that's why um, when you're tribal, you got to keep the clans together. Um in a monarchy, got to keep the court together as well as watch out for those who are supporting pretenders of the throne instead of your legitimate heir. And in uh, republics, well, 
it's it's a little bit easier to manage except you got to get the Senate in line and get be more cooperative because they have like five different factions in a republic and uh, each of the, the guy who is elected in, in that said republic represents that faction and possibly the majority of the Senate still of which would be mostly divided anyhow based on my experience <laughs> when you're tribal monarchy every decision you make like it's your decision but if you're trying to make a decision in a republic you got to get Senate approval but you can bypass them if they're either approved or divided. And if you do, you know, override the decision that they're divided on, then you get a bit of tyranny for that. Well, they're taking too long to make decisions. Yeah, I mean, so is it like lobbying where you can pay senators off to vote a certain way? Or influence them? Uh, well. Yeah, I mean... Party leaders do change over time um, as time rolls on with that game, as with everything else. As as well as friends, rivals that you have, uh, and that applies to you know generals too. <laughs> I had this one experience uh, when I was playing as Sparta, which, by the way, stratocratic monarchy. Um, when we were at war with Athens, yes, it's the Peloponnesian War again, but set a hundred years after it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like we got 90% of their territory, and there's one more fort we ought to take. And then all of a sudden, one of my generals became disloyal. And when you have a disloyal character, especially a disloyal general running one of your armies, then it's out of your control. Like, like you, as a player, cannot control this army anymore. It's AI-controlled now. And it goes wherever it wants. So I went back to friendly lines. I'm like, hey, what the hell are you doing? We're about to take that place. And I had to check everything other than his disloyalty towards me, of course. Found out, oh yeah, food ran out for this particular army and it's going back to replenish. Okay, that's justified. And each of the... Each of the appointed generals and admirals of the navy... And yes, there is naval combat in the game. Um, each of these cohorts, units if you will... It, like... Like, over time, they do become loyal to the said general. And how to pay off the loyalties is to reward the veterans. And if you don't want to have a disloyal general, well, kiss up to him. Either bribe him or hold triumphant. Uh, uh, triumph. It would seem more like rotating generals out would be a better idea. Yeah, and if he's disloyal, well, you can't fire the guy. Sure you can. Unless you find someone better who is more superiorly skilled than him. Or unless you have the skill and appoint yourself to that particular army. Hmm. And uh, we mentioned about unit types of cohorts other than light infantry, heavy infantry. They have a huge variety. And only barbarians and Indians use chariots. Because Romans, Greeks, Persians don't use them anymore because that's obsolete. And there's light and heavy cavalry, and there is such thing as war elephants, which you have to get them by trade um, through Carthage, um, North Africa, or through India, unless you're playing as either of them. And typically it's the war elephant that's the best unit out of all of them because of the amount of damage it can do. And very expensive to upkeep. 
because you know yeah. you gotta pay attention to the economy and the trade and whatnot to help with such income. So I assume, just like Crusader Kings, this game is mostly text. There's a lot of reading and occasionally a still picture. Yeah, just like that sometimes. Uh, including this one thing, if you happen to be playing as a, a Greek culture or somebody who's of the Hellenic faith, that's their religion, Greek mythology as we call it, and um, Illyrians and uh, Romans worship that same religion too, as the Greeks are. With slightly different names, of course. Um, anyways... <laughs> Including this one event that happens every five years, and that's the Olympic Games. Which I did not know. Olympic Games are held every five years, rather than four today. I have no idea when they changed it over. But then again, they measured time differently, because they were on a different calendar. And, uh, and in that particular Olympic Games, you can just send a guy over. and and But every time I do that, never had a chance that we had our guy win the, win the Games. Always somebody else, but it, yep. it levels up my popularity. And the other thing, there's only like three games: it's running, wrestling, and maybe horse racing, maybe chariots. Of the ancient Olympic games. I mean, what else is there? It's running and wrestling. They're always naked. Yeah, people from all corners of the world go to Olympic games. I even had an instance that a guy who won first place came from Bactria, modern-day Afghanistan. Hmm. Which I guess it doesn't matter, you know, if you're worship guns or nuns. Just participate and there you have it. Here's your wreath. Yeah. Not to mention it would help its popularity and, and, well, win some money. Which there's two kinds of money in that game. The state treasury and your personal wealth. And you use your personal wealth for, you know... Mostly to bribe people or try to influence somebody or to befriend somebody. Mm -hmm. And a state treasury is for uh, whatever you're trying to build. Whether if it's armies or buildings in your cities. As well as, you know, trying to import trade goods from other countries to your area or your cities. To either further increase your economy or happiness for your citizens, nobles, tribesmen. Uh, slaves, even. Hmm. Yeah, and freemen, too. That they will become eventually. Yeah. Uh, and in, and Yeah, one more and one more thing that regards to, you know, development in a country, and that includes the civilization value. Um, so, like typically, it's the tribal areas that are the least civilized. The more developed countries has a higher civilization value it's a bit jingoistic but sure yeah it actually determines that um as and not to mention that people from other countries do immigrate and what's the opposite of immigration yeah there's immigrate which means to come in and emigrate with an e which means to leave yeah and that happens too uh especially when you're bordered with another country that some of that may come in and and some may go out like one time when I was playing a Sparta very early on, it was 98%, uh, I forgot what's the name of the ethnicity, Spartans of nationality, but the actual Greek ethnicity that they call themselves down there. That starts with an L. Laconica. Lacana. Yes. Uh, yes, that's what they call themselves. They were 98% of that. And the other two, um, Jewish Hebrews. Because, you know, business. Sure.
and uh, there is such thing as wrong culture happiness and whatnot that's determined by actions as well um, so it's possible to you know have a mixed population with mixed religions unless you want to have it all changed by building temples and theaters so that way those foreigners can start speaking your language and worship your gods it's a melting pot yes especially if you're in Athens or in Rome or even as far as Patliputra in India which is basically the Rome of the East so yeah we pretty much talked about the regions economy mm -hmm. trade um, technology a little bit so how do you take over lands how do you fight that's all determined by diplomacy with you know alliances that you make and whatnot um, but if you want to start a war you gotta have a Cassius Belli is that what it is in Latin calls a war Bella Bella a reason for fighting which is usually done by fabricating claims just use your political influence to make up a claim to say hey that land is yours he spilled coffee on me. I want to fight. Yeah, sending an insult is another way to start a war. Because, you know, back in those days, a single insult can start a war rather than say, hey, fuck you, and then you're just passing off. Yeah, now it just starts internet wars. Yeah, rather than something physical. So, usually war is last resort. If you want to, you know, do something about the foreign country... And and you ought to be careful when you start wars. It all determines, uh, you know, the number of armies they have, uh, due to what is their best general they have, who are their allies, uh, you know, odds. <laughs> like, what? how many friends are they bringing versus how many friends you are bringing? That's the only way to turn the tide. There really is, like, a, a risk. I compare all these games to risk because they're all basically the same, similar idea. Uh, there can be coalition wars too um, in that game, which which is pretty much a thing um, in later times. I mean, coalition wars aren't really a thing in medieval times, but in a classical and later eras, yeah, they were. You you really would be... I, I, I say Risk, but it's a lot closer to a game which has the most generic title in the world, just called Diplomacy. It's it, it takes place entirely in Europe, and you play as a leader of the country. It's a, a big big board game uh from like the 70s it's just called again just called diplomacy and there's a lot of what you're talking about and a little bit of combat a lot of negotiation a lot of lying to other people who are in charge of other countries and uh it's gotten a resurgence in the last few years because of the the covid situation has kind of forced everyone to use alternative methods to play games so they've created like a, a digital version of a lot of board games so that's how I know. That's how I found out about diplomacy, and I'm like, man, my brother would be really good at this game, and I would be really bad at it. And and this what that I'm telling you how to describe this game uh, is pretty much like it on the diplomacy side of things. Yeah, on the talking to people part of negotiation and shit. On the let's fight, not so much. Yeah, when war is like when you have no choice left, well then start a damn war, even though it's going to be usually costly. Um, it depends on. If you've got the number of units, if you've got the morale, if you've got the discipline, do you have your best general with the best trait to turn the tide? Mm. As well as the tactics that you pick out. Like, a, like a, it just depends on the units that you have in this particular army versus in that other army you have that has this amount of units. Like you 
gotta like say your first army is where the elite units are the heavy cavalry heavy infantry in that time you five oh first yeah and then you got this other second army which is more of reservists with archers and light infantry yeah and you gotta use the said tactics in that particular army to appeal to those units to have better effectiveness so this is the part where you have a giant map of the world well europe and you're pushing those little men on horses with a big long stick and they're pushing them forward yeah that sort of thing and not to mention gotta have a supply train with you just to keep them supplied you know not only for attrition but also food because you know it's not uh, we mentioned about trade goods earlier one of the things you're called trade is food not only for your populace but also for army maintenance if you're going to be going out on an expedition if you can last that long unless you occupy the territory so you can refill the food and reinforcements it seems like there's no like it's a bad idea to fight then if you have to manage all this shit uh-huh like there's like it's always as opposed to crusader kings which is just practically go kill the guy and now it's yours this yeah. is like let, try not to get in fights if you don't have to yes and uh <laughs> for expeditionary wars i guess that's kind of ideal and uh, speaking of expeditions we mentioned land units but we know there's naval warfare and they have lots of different types of ship about as many different types of ships as they are with land units okay you don't need to name them all please yeah not just the triremes, but they just have more. Think of it as more rows on the ships, until uh, unless you're of a Greek culture where you could build the biggest goddamn ship in existence. I mean, you've seen a illustration of one once. Mm. I'm pretty sure there's one in in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, actually. That is like ten times bigger than your average trireme. The octareme. Yeah, the, that ship's in that game too. Oh, that type. Yeah. <laughs> That's only if you research the mil. No, not necessarily research. I mean, uh, I mean, other than uh, ideas uh, for technology and for your military economy, religion, whatnot. But also, they have military traditions. Every almost every country has its own traditions of sorts. Like Romans has one. Greeks have them. Persians too. Indians and whatnot. They have their what own military traditions. What does that mean? What does that mean? Like they always use this kind of fighting? Um, yeah, to be more specific on military tradition types, barbarian, Greek, Indian, Italic, Levantine, Arabian, North African, Persian. They have their own different branches. Like, like if you're going for naval, well, then you just start going that side. If you're more infantry oriented, you go through that side. Paths, if you will. Hmm. Like... We use the uh, Greek one, for example, because that's, you know, most prominent. Despite the fact the name of the game is Imperator Rome, where it's, you know, it's in those times, and yet... The Romans stole a lot of things from the Greeks. They just straight up did. Like, the path you can go to, like, are you more like the Seleucids, or are you into Greek states, or an Antigonid path? Yeah, that sort of thing. Like, Greek states path, for example, you... Re Go for a Sarisa, which ups heavy infantry morale. If you're going Seleucid, you lower the heavy cavalry maintenance. You go Antigonid, then it's slightly more, you know, naval-oriented, along with light infantry and whatnot. Those kind of paths. 
which is at your own choosing, which you can only get those if you level up military experience, which can be gained by through combat or by drilling your troops, which you drill the troops for war, um, usually before you start war. Like if you plan on going to war, be sure to drill your troops. It levels up their experience. So that way when they go to combat, instead of coming in, you know, like no skill, and uh, well, less trained, if you will. <laughs> and when they go to combat fully drilled, then they will take less damage and less losses. Because, you know, they were ready for this shit. Sure, makes sense. Uh, seems, again, like a lot more minutia that would annoy me, but it makes sense. What, training your troops for combat of what you're about to imagine? Get imagine if... It's like the tutorial level of your average first-person shooter, but if that were years long. <laughs> and uh, it's like if, if training mode took five years, yeah, good. Then we go to war. Yeah, that because we know how time passes. <laughs> Before you said, okay, it's time to get ready for war. Um, and not to mention, are you really willing to go to war? And is another question. Is it's not only. It's like, yeah, you may have the best troops, best tactics, best generals, but can you really last a war? Because it's also determined by the amount of manpower reserves you have. You know, just like population numbers, but, well, for land units. Mm -hmm. You know, to replenish your losses. And that's where the manpower reserves go. Like you could say, after a battle, you took like, oh, I don't know, 2,000 losses, um, and, you, and your units are not permanently gone, but they can be reinforced. Okay, let's make this minutia even bigger. Let's say you have a long protracted war. Will the citizens start rumbling saying this war is going on too long? Um, if, you, if you happen to be on the losing side and have your territories occupied, that's where monthly war exhaustion comes in. Mm -hmm. uh, a higher war exhaustion can usually lead to more chances to surrender to the opposing side and a uh, threat of Disloyal characters, especially disloyal generals, which could eventually lead to revolts, and you don't want that. Hmm. So, and you wouldn't get war exhaustion if you are on a winning side and you got this momentum. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, sure. And be sure to keep an eye on general, even if he's getting all the glory, rather than you as the man who runs the country. Because yeah, he, then, he may one day become powerful. Yeah, then he'll take your job. Especially if you're a Republican, he's a member of the military faction, military party, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Dwight D. Eisenhower. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of political parties, and this will eventually lead into the um, expansion content and updates. Um, and we mentioned about five Republic factions. There's civic, military... Mercantile, religious, and populist. Populist. <laughs> yeah, and they cannot elect the next guy after the guy serves five years in that same faction, so they they have to change. And the guy can be reelected every fifteen years, which means after three terms later, then the guy's eligible to be reelected. Yeah, I understand. And the. There's only one expansion pack so far in that game. The game's a year old, and the most recent DLC was f three months ago, which was called um, Magna Graecia, or Magna Graecia. You know how to say that in Latin? 
for Greater Greece? Probably be Greece, yeah. Or in the Greek language, um, Megillus Hellas. Megillo Gorilla. Greater Greece, where, I mean, they had a few uh, DLCs and whatnot, just flavor packs and whatnot. Um, where they have mission packs. Oh, by the way, every country has their own set of missions as a way of getting rewards, bonuses to complete the said missions, quests, if you will. Mm-hmm. Romans have them, Carthaginians have them, and here in Magna Graecia, uh, how do you say that again? Graecia. Graecia. Uh, Greek missions for Athens, Sparta, Syracuse, um, as well as those from the Antigonid and Seleucid empires further east. And they added more features relating to all things Greek, um, including 12 new Greek, Greek deities. Yeah, briefly mentioned religion here, unlike, you know, religions of medieval times. Um, the religion, how it works is, it's like you've got four set of gods that you pick. Like one that's for war, one that's for prosperity, one's for the, the other, and one for fertility. Those kind of gods, right? Sure. They have their passive bonuses, and if you use your omen to get more bonuses from them for five years. So, every religion has their own set of gods. And I don't know about the monotheistic Judaism, which exists in the game, which only the kingdom of Judea, Judea exists as a vassal of uh, the Antigonids. Um, so, they added more Greek deities in there in, in that DLC. And uh, Apotheosis, you know that word? Apotheosis. A popular ruler from a prestigious family may choose to proclaim themselves or a revered ancestor as a god. So deify yourself and be welcomed to the state pantheon and whatnot. So basically this DLC makes it more Crusader Kings. Slightly. Um, and also go get sacred treasures, which is located on um, holy sites of certain religions. So again, that's their most recent DLC, three months ago. So, so expect the next DLC to add wonders to the game. Um, other than the pyramids, of course. Yeah, I'm saying, cause it just seems more like their previous games. Like, Paradox, as far as I can tell, except for the sci-fi shit, keeps making the same game over and over, with slightly, like, expanded regions. Uh-huh. I mean, and a lot more minutia. Uh-huh. That word you kept using, what's minutia? A bunch of tiny shit. It's like, oh, did you, is your populace eating enough? Are they using the bathroom enough? Do they have... It's just the fucking Sims over and over, man. It's Sim City. Sim City t- BC. And, uh, so yeah, for now, like, until the next DLC, for now, they're doing updates. Um, which, interestingly, they name updates after historical figures. The last one was from March, um... They call their update Archimedes. You know who he was? I'm familiar. Yeah. And the next upcoming uh, update actually comes in two for the upcoming update. Epirus and Menander. Um, Epirus is a country, an ancient country that's in parts of northwestern Greece and southern Albania today. I doubt you're familiar with that part of the Greek world. Don't know shit. Yeah. Um, Which they plan on adding... 
missions for the Eparites or whoever they call the uh, the nationality for Eparis where I saw on the dev diaries developer diaries that they that their set of missions the mission tree if you will that they will have Eparis will be the hegemon of Greece one day or or go over to the southern Italian peninsula in um, in greater Greece um, to save them from Roman expansion as well as proclaiming yourself to be indeed the descendants of Achilles because Empress, their royal family claimed to be descendant of Achilles which I remember hearing that when I watched the Alexander movie with Olympias kept saying that Alexander is they say your father is Zeus and you are of Achilles royal blood that movie had so little truth in it there's no point in comparing it to actual history uh anyways yeah and that's for the Empress part and the Menander update, and they named him after uh, Menander. You know which Menander in particular? Salamander. It was uh, Menander I of the Indo-Greek Kingdom, which was the last ever independent ancient Greek state in history, from 180 BC through 10 AD. Mm -hmm. So they branched off from Bactria, and then they held parts of the Indus um, and all the way into parts of India, even as far as Patliputra in, in Bengal. Um, and, uh, and he was best known, well, Menander I is best known for converting from Hellenic to Buddhism, Greco-Buddhist. And they're the ones responsible for creating the depictions of the Buddha in human form, is the Greeks. The big fat golden dude that's all over tchotchkes you can buy in Chinatown. Yeah, they didn't have depictions of him when, when Buddha was around, but you gotta blame the Greeks for creating depictions of him. That's fine, I'm, I'm fine with blaming the Greeks for everything all day. So in this upcoming update for uh, um, the Menander update, they will have changes to cultures and a new population type. The new population type will have nobles, um, and they will branch out more on the cultures, such as the Egyptian culture will then the Egyptian culture are not just going to be called Egyptian. They branch out into threes. North, South, Middle. Uh, when can we actually expect a video on this? Are you talking about video diaries of the said updates? Of you making playthroughs of this like you did for Crusader Kings. I predict around July or as soon as the update comes out. That's when I plan on doing it. In which they will also have upcoming changes to the Rebellion system. And change republic government mechanics, including having more Greek and Roman flavor of running republics instead of having generic named factions like civic, military, religious that we mentioned earlier. There's nothing wrong with generic, you're just adding more minutia. Uh huh. And finally, cultural integration that they will also have, which is similar to what they did with EU4. Like when you expand your country and you have this part of the territory that's in foreign land that's outside of your culture like say you're Greek and you've taken over well let's just say use Bactria as an example Bactria is ran by Greeks but all the Bactrian people are not of you and what do you do with them you leave them as unaccepted or you just accept them along with your culture basically just coming together be more syncretic that sounds boring you just rather be a more uh, 
what's that word? Homogenous? Homogenous. Homogenous. You'd rather be that? I'd rather not play this kind of game. So yeah, that's what's upcoming for later this month, if not next month. Alright, uh, one last thing we got here. Uh, oh yeah, and by the way, the poll for now. The country I'm expected to do a playthrough on will likely be Massalia, which is a one of the westernmost ancient Greek colonies that's located in modern-day Marseille, France. That's what I'm expected to play as. So you're Greek-French. Yeah, we're Greeks in a land full of what were, at that time, Gallic tribes. Imagine Greek hoplites fighting against Gallic barbarians. These pale people who paint themselves like the Celts. I, I, I understand what barbar Gallic barbarians are. I get it. I saw, I saw Gladiator. That's all I got for Imperator Rome. Thank God. I'm going to cut this bit out. Yeah. Thank the gods. Now, a monotheistic society. <laughs> uh, the last thing I have here, because I had to take notes, because you took notes. Yeah, I got nothing else. It's all I have for me. Uh, we, the other day, the other day, you came to me having exhausted a lot of your Xbox games uh, in terms of what you play regularly. And you said, you know what I just bought? And I said, I have no idea. And you said, The Elder Scrolls Online. And I said, fuck. What's wrong? No, because that would mean I would have to play it. Because while you years ago played a lot of Oblivion and Skyrim. played a lot of Skyrim, Elder Scrolls Online, while taking place in those same places, is one, not made by the same companies who made those, and two... A MMO, a massively multiplayer online RPG. So uh, I booted up my account because I have it on the Xbox, plus a bunch of DLC and shit. And it's like, all right, you make a guy. And you're like, okay, here's what your guy does. It's an RPG. You've seen RPGs before. You know what they do. You shoot magic. You hit up, hit him with a stick. You shoot a bow at him. And this is like the fifth time I've played Elder Scrolls Online because I've, I've done it before on the other con, PlayStation 4. I've done it before on PlayStation 4 uh, with the other guys, and they didn't really take a liking to it only because, you know, MMOs take a long time. I don't know if you've realized this in the few hours you've played of it. It takes a long time to get anything done. Well, thanks to, you know, me playing strategy games, I've developed a, a lot of patience and tolerance. As I've gotten older, I have determined that I have less and less patience every single year. When I was a kid, I had so much patience for bullshit. Now I have so literal tolerance for it. And so I was like, I can never play a strategy game like any of the stuff you describe ever because it's like, man, I would just give up. And so an MMO like ESO, a lot of acronyms, is just like, okay, it's you no know, Elder Scrolls. I enjoy the universe. I enjoy the breadth of powers. I can give it about two hours before I get tired and bored. But that's the same way I am with everything. It's not limited to that game. I'm trying to remember seriously where I played a game for, let's say, more than four hours at once without getting bored. And it's not coming to me. And it has nothing to do with enjoyment. It's just more of, like, uh, I recently, for reasons I don't need to explain here, played some Assassin's Creed games to 100% them, right? And in order to do that, there's a lot of grindy bits and going to certain places and shit that takes a long time. So it's like, okay, well, I'll do that for a couple hours. All right, I'm bored. I need to do something else. I cannot 
do the same thing over and over. Uh, so I'm fine playing Elder Scrolls again if you need help with stuff. Even though we still can't figure out how to share a quest and I never have figured that out and I don't know what the hell you're supposed to do. Other than just follow and kill. I know, but like if you have to talk to an NPC or you have to solve a puzzle I can't see, it's like, well, you're fucked, buddy. I'll just stand here and beat up Dragor. Stand there and be a douche. Pretty much. That's a lot of that. If you... Your average other player character at any given point is standing there. <laughs> They're standing there waiting for someone else. They're standing there because they put the controller down. They're standing there looking at a menu. There's a lot of waiting around in MMOs. I saw like 10 people in line of a front of a, a general store. Yeah, they don't have to go in line. I don't know why they're standing in line. They can all use the same service at once. It's instanced. <laughs> they're just all on the same server. It's... Which is very convenient, you know, when meeting up with each other is not hard, but getting doing the same thing is hard. Like yesterday, well, yesterday. Did we play yesterday? I've already forgot. Uh, yesterday, we were both actually doing the same quest line, but... It was all new to you while it was... Oh yeah, I did that earlier. Yeah, but it was like literal minutes before. Like you did it literally minutes before I did it. But we could, we still couldn't share it. And then we took on the same quest at the same time, and we both still couldn't share it, even though we were doing the same thing. And you followed me into some damn place, and I was like, do you see this bag here that you need to pick up to end this quest? And you're like, no. So I said, well, fine. I got it. And then we left and went all the way back to the quest gamer, and you were like, Oh, now I can go and get it. It's like, son of a bitch. Yeah, it's a long walk or a horse ride back. Yeah. But it's not like Red Dead, where everything's a billion miles away. By the way, Red Dead update. I'm still playing Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, it just takes, it takes a long time. Here in chapter... so far apart. Three, uh, I'm dealing with a lot of Lemon Raiders. Uh, I'm fighting the Capulets and the Montagues, or putting them against each other, or working for both... I'm doing the wrong names on purpose because I know it pisses Tizzy off. That's why I'm doing it. Uh, don't worry about me. You know about my tolerance. I don't uh, have anything really negative to say about the game. It's not like God of War where I hate the characters and the story, but acknowledge that the fighting part is fun. I, I find the characters in Red Dead fascinating. There's just good dialogue. There's good digital acting. You know, the story that they're telling, while a little strange at times, because it's like, how did you guys ever get anything done with Dutch Vangelin as a leader is beyond me. And even the shooting, you know, because it's, it's Grand Theft Auto again, right? It's the same cover system, it's the same weapon system. But it's just, it is the traversal of like, okay, I accept the mission. Okay, where's the next objective? One million fucking miles that way. It's like, oh man. I just wish the horses were as fast as cars. Like, if you replace Which horse horses with. Are we talking Red Dead horses or Elder Skulls horses? Either or. If you replace horse with car, almost all of my objections go away. I just like cars more. It's it's a bit like... You just like automobiles in general. Let's use that as a general term. It's it's not even that. It's I was trying to explain this to Sizzy. Like, both Bethesda software both makes the Fallout series and the Elder Scrolls series. I have a lot of fun in the Elder Scrolls universe, but if I'm pushed to it, I like Fallout more. And the key difference is guns. It is weaponry and technology. And to expand that out even further, the real difference is I prefer sci-fi over fantasy. Or anything from I, the classical era. I, mentioned I prefer the, the mechanical 
and the you know scientific over the mystical and the manual so it's going to be you know i'll take gta over red dead i will take fallout over elder scrolls i will take average sci-fi game over average fantasy game i'll take mass effect over dragon age um that's just because that's just who i am you know i don't i don't hate fantasy but there's a lot of repeating elements in fantasy basically all of modern fantasy is tolkien in some strange form and i know tolkien stole a lot from uh other myths throughout the world celtic and north he stole a lot i know but everything basically is based off him and not everything in sci-fi is based off gene roddenberry or even uh heinlein or any of that shit it's, it goes in a lot of different places a lot of interesting things you can do with that with fantasy it's like okay here's an elf here's an orc here's a different kind of elf here's a here's a cat man and you hit a guy with a sword and you do magic it's like, okay fine but in a more sci-fi game here's a gun here's a different gun here's a different kind of gun here's a spaceship here's a different car it's like i don't know man what i'm saying is all horses should be replaced with cars you, you would just rather have more horsepower than a single horsepower by the way one horse does not have a single horsepower it has up to 15. where did you learn that i've known that for years that's one of the little bits of trivia i know like Depends how the, on the breed is, of horse like how the earth is actually closer to the sun in the winter time yeah, a lot of misconceptions that people commonly believed until later discovered. Like uh, they're uh, on your on a dime with Franklin Delano Roosevelt's head. There are little lines on it, the ridges. There are 110 of those. I just know random shit from from my entire life of memorizing and learning random shit for no reason. In case I'm ever on a game show, I guess. Uh, we'll probably play Elder Scrolls Online again soon. Maybe you'll play it certainly before I do. Now that you figured out what you basically want to do. Yeah, I found my groove. Found my weapon of choice. Um, do you have anything else? Any other things for your show? Uh, what show? For your channel is what I meant to say. Oh yes. Um, for the for the future of my YouTube channel. Ever since I wrapped up on the Solgadian series of Crusader Kings two, and we mentioned the uh, upcoming um Imperator Rome series. Uh, which uh, will likely be Massalia, uh, which is again Greek name for Marseille, and uh, as well as you know, by the time this recording you know is released, a week posted. Um, yeah, around this time that's when I will do another Oregon Trail video, and an Oregon Trail video, which I originally was supposed to do that in April, then the pandemic came, and I thought too soon. And, and and I nobody's dying of zombieism out there. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, well, fuck it. Uh, people are still dying and out there. So, what 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 the hell am I saying? Anyways, have I become cynical? <sighs> These are precedented times. We're gonna try this for a third time. Then you're just gonna say thanks for having me. Well, thanks again for coming on the show with me, Thomas. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, be sure to plug in my channel. I'll put it all over the fucking place. YouTube.com slash Lordmaster where the O is actually a zero. Uh -huh. And the A the E R is actually an A. Uh and you find me literally everywhere on the internet as Loki Jarson. Thank you, goodbye, and good night.